Chapter 1, Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole of the, the chapter, probably for the first time I've done this in a while, but I think it's important because as I read it the other day, I felt like it's got a lot in it for us to learn. I want to give a context to what we're about ready to read. The first takes place about a thousand years before Christ comes to the earth. And so as we approach Christmas and we recognize the importance of Bethlehem, we're going to realize that inside of the book of Ruth, there are key themes alluding to the truth that Jesus Christ arrives. And so I want to, I want to go through this. Um, and you'll see in the text a family from Bethlehem, Bethlehem meaning the house of bread, who arrive, now exiled, uh, forced to move to Moab, where they have now settled. So in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man from Bethlehem in Judea, with his wife and two sons, went to reside in the land of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were uh, Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judea, and they entered the land of Moab and they settled there. Then Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons, who took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. And after they had lived in Moab about 10 years, both Melon and Chilion, uh, also in Moab, uh, died. And Naomi was left with her, her, without her two sons and without her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had attended to his people by providing them with food, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave for the, the land of Moab. Accompanied by their two daughter-in-laws in the land, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road leading back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you loving devotion as you have shown your, to your dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find rest in the home of your new husband. And she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb to become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear you sons, would you wait for them to grow? Would you refrain from having husbands? No, my daughters, it grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Again, they wept aloud and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law has, has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow her back home. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to turn from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there, there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me ever so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Let's pray. Father, take these words and bury them in our hearts that we might learn of you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I felt that it was important to get back to the Old Testament for a bit. How many of you realize we've been in the New Testament a long time? And the New Testament, although alludes to the whole of Christ, it's important to remember that the Old Testament came and it's the scriptures that Jesus would have read. 
And it's interesting because the story is unique because when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go to her, she stopped trying to persuade her. So Naomi and Ruth traveled and they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole city stirred because of them. And the women of the city said, can you, can you believe this is Naomi? Do not call me Naomi, she replied. Call me Mara because the Lord has done bitterly with me. And it's interesting because there's an expectation as she arrives and she comes back into the neighborhood. How many of you have ever had neighbors move away and come back? Ever had that? I can remember the time that we moved away from Florida and we moved back into Florida and there was this kind of expectation. There were these things. Oh, look, look at the family. They're back. There was a bit of buzzing around and there, there's no difference. There's buzzing around Bethlehem at this point. And if you allow your eyes to, to focus on verse 19, they're saying, Naomi is back. It's been time. It's been over a decade. She's gone off to live with the Moabites, but now she has returned. And there's nothing that tells us anything about those intervening years. How many of you have lived decades and wondered what happened during those decades? Ever had that happen where you go, wow, it's just flown by. Look at what happened. And you try to reflect on what, all the things you saw and all the things you learned. Well, there's nothing in the story of Ruth that pushes us to say, well, this is exactly what happened other than Ruth's son, or Naomi's sons died. Her, her husband died. And evidently, they faced another famine. So here in Bethlehem in the, Judea, the hills of Judea, the same location afterwards where David, a shepherd boy, would be looking after his sheep, the same location afterwards where shepherds would be looking at their sheep and hear the angels announce the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ. It's the same location unfolding in the story of Ruth. And there are three things that I want to specifically look at that I think are important for us today. And they align us hopefully with the story. How many of you realize the Bible is practical in it for every day of life? Right? It's not that it's just an ancient book that we take literature from. It actually has purpose and meaning. And it says in the first line that there was a famine in the land. We're not told if it was caused because of warring parties. We're not told that, that there were border issues. Uh, or whether it was simply a natural occurrence, climate change. We have no idea what it was, but we know this. Elimelech determined that he would go search elsewhere for food. I've already shared with you that Bethlehem is known as the house of bread. It's the place where they grow the most of the wheat in which the people of Israel would have been nourished on. And evidently, there is now a famine in the land. How many of you realize that we have a bit of a famine in the land right now? How many of you notice that the stock shelves are not quite stocked fully again? How many of you realize that, that people throughout the, the course of this next winter season are going to be devastated in the housing schemes because of decisions that have been made and various things that have happened? So much so that now the school is calling and saying again, Nathan, will you help us? Will Downfield Maine come alongside of us and help us to make sure that people have Christmas? Why? Because there's a lot of things that have happened. And you can imagine how this plays out 3,000 years ago, no different than today. Somebody's saying, Daddy, I'm hungry. Do we have any oil? Do we have any, do we have any wheat? 
The supply's down. Mom, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Is there anywhere that we can go get food? Can we head over to Asda? Can we go to Tesco? And so it's that driving force that this dad has to make a decision that leaves Bethlehem and goes to Judea, taking his wife where he lives in the country of Moab. The terminology suggests that he wasn't planning on spending the rest of his life there, although it turned out that he was. He told his friends and his neighbors, presumably in his pragmatism, that he was going to take control of his life and take care of what needed to be taken care of. You ever done that before? Ever taken control of your life and moved in a way? And so he goes to Bethlehem, this famine in the land. And, and we know this, that God's presence, according to the Jew, was directly tied to the land of Israel. God had promised his people that land and he would meet with them there. So to leave the land of the blessing is to leave the Lord to go and serve foreign gods. Now, it's quite an astonishing decision, if you, were, if you will. The reason it's astonishing is twofold. First, God's presence to the Jew is there. That's where they should be. The second is this, that the Lord should have been providing for them. Did you know that Elimelech literally means the Lord is my king? The king provides for us and he provides for them. Now, before we judge Elimelech for his decision to leave, we recognize that a father has a responsibility to provide for his family. How many of you have recognized that as fathers? You know how important it is. Uh, there, there must be said that, that we can only last, he must have said this, we can only last a very short time here. And I think it's best that we go and search for bread elsewhere. We go find bread elsewhere. And so as we see him leaving, they go to Moab, they live there. The, the description changes completely in verse 2. They find themselves settled there. Why? Because there must have been more food there. They migrated. They left one place and went to another. And let me tell you this, that migration always comes with an aspect of sacrifice and pain. So we should never stand and look at Elimelech and go, he made a hard decision. He did make a hard decision. And for those of you who have moved from one place to another, it is difficult. And you carry the weight of that difficulty. And not only that, but there's an element of bereavement. So not only are they experiencing famine in the land, but now they're experiencing bereavement. Why? Well, Elimelech has died. And she's left with two sons. And you can only imagine what Naomi is thinking. All the security and protection of Elimelech is gone. It never materialized the way we thought it would. Have you, have you ever had that happen in life? You endeavor into something and it doesn't materialize the way you think it's gonna? Have you ever had a vision for your life and moved in a direction and think, this is how it's going to be? And the reality of, of, of life sets in and, and besets that and it changes and then it never turns out the way you think it's going to be. Well, this is exactly what has happened to Naomi. But only this now, she's experiencing bereavement. It's true of all families. And at this point in time, all the emotions, all the, the reality, the, the, the hope that one day she'll be, her sons will be married to these two beautiful women and they will have grandchildren are starting to fade. 
to the point where we see that they actually pass away. These two sons, and they are left, these two women without husbands, which in that culture would have been devastating. Why? Because families marry within families. People are ringing the doorbell. Um, this lonely widow in a foreign country. And, uh, and I want to say this, that she has now migrated. She has now found herself in a position where she is begging to go home. Begging to go home. Did you know that there are 281 million migrants right now in the world? That's up 60 million from 10 years ago and 220 million migrants. Migrating, sacrificing, saying, what has happened to our life? Is it safer there than it is here? Can we find bread there that we can't find here? Is there, are, there, are there cultural things in that culture that we must flee from and go to this culture? It is played out every day. Every day. And we see it on the news. Now Naomi sits, this stranger in a strange land, driven from home from famine, robbed of her loved ones by death, in bereavement, and most significant of this story is this, that Israel's family as a unit always teeters on the brink of extinction. And if there's one thing that we know about this, that it's shame when you do not have a husband in that culture. And your family line comes to an end. Your name is no more. And that's exactly what she's facing. Husband's gone, boys are gone and she's getting too old to remarry, so they return. So they don't go from famine to bereavement to return. And I, and I want to share, I think this is the most aspect, beautiful aspect of the, the chapter one, is that they return. And I want to I share you the interplay between Naomi and Ruth and, and, and the love affair that takes place between a mother and a daughter. When she heard Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing them food, she had heard that something was going on in Bethlehem. Somehow or another, news had arrived. There's a ray of sunshine and a ray of hope in this dark cloud that covers their life. How many of you recognize it is so important to have a ray of hope in a dark cloud? How many of you prayed for somebody today? who has struggling with a dark cloud, and they need a ray of hope. And it's the Lord who brings this ray of sunshine. Why? Through information. I love, I love hearing when, I love getting texts from people. Hey, we prayed for you today. Thank you so much. You can't imagine how much that matters. Why? Because God is able to move in our situations when we pray. And so as she returns, it would have been strange, of course, for her to approach the house of bread and live in those days when she actually didn't believe the Lord. And she doesn't. She doesn't really believe that the Lord is going to come to her aid. And so this dialogue takes place. But I want to say something about God. He always comes to our aid. How many of you went to shop at Tesco or Asda during the pandemic? Do you remember those days? Two-meter cues, face masks on, only able to get, a, what, a couple of items? 
Do you remember that? You tried to sneak a third one and they'd say no? Maybe it was just me, I'm sorry. Uh, my sinful self. Right? And we would always blame the, the government or Brexit or something. Something was strange for, for the reality of why we're heading through this pandemic. And yet we're stuck in this pandemic hoping we make it to the house of bread, but not yet. Ultimately, irrespective of how we see the pandemic, we have to realize this, that God is the one who stocks the shelves. Amen? He is the one who's able to provide, and he's the same God who will provide for Naomi and Ruth. Nobody, nobody should walk up and down the aisles of the supermarket with a greater sense of amazement and gratitude than the Christian. Do you want to know why? We know where the bread really comes from. It doesn't arrive on trucks. It comes from God. The one who makes the rain fall, a lot today. He's the one who makes the sun shine, both on the just and the unjust. And when God said, I'm going home, when Naomi says, I'm going home, her daughter's prepared to return with her. And she leads the exodus. And it, it's a beautiful thing because the, the goodbyes are clear, right? They, they start to cry together. Um, three women sitting on the side of the road crying. I know, I know, it's a strange sight. Uh, but they're crying what? And wailing for each other. Why? Because it is vital as they head down the road together. This is not just... Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. It is the reality that Naomi will make one decision, Orpah will make another decision, and Ruth will follow her mother. And I love the dialogue. It says this, why don't you just turn around and go back? Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Just go back. And, and, and what she's essentially doing is saying, may the Lord show grace to you, his mercy and his kindness. Why? Because you have shown me grace, and to your dead you have shown grace. But you go off, you go get married again. I'm going to go to a place where I'm not shown kindness any longer. And they weep. They weep. See, it's important that we remember in the Valley of Decision that God says to men and women, and this is the decision, Orpah will go one direction, Ruth will go another direction, and the way that they make these decisions will determine the course of their future. Do you, do you know how many times we've talked about this in the past, making decisions, right? How vital decisions are and what they do for your future. In the Valley of Decision, God says to men and women, do you want to be my disciple do you want to return to your people or do you want to return to your own gods? That was the decision. And suddenly fast forward through the corridors of time and we, we watch as Jesus stands in the valley of decision and says, will you forsake his father and his mother and everything that he knows for security? All that represents orthodoxy and stability in your life Will you forsake that for the sake of me? For Ruth, I have decided to follow Naomi. 
And it's in this valley of decision that we see her life start to change. She could have easily gone back with Orpah, who left and returned to her mother. But she said, I'm going to stay with this mother, the mother who's been a mother to me. And, and your people will be my people. Your gods will be my gods. Your God will be my God. And she begins to follow. See, it's not until we actually make those type of decisions that we make the decision to be in the house of bread. And the house of bread, Bethlehem, the house of bread, we see the truth of this played out. See, we have the house of bread today, and we have an opportunity to enter into the house of bread today. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he used the analogy of bread, probably remembering the story of Ruth and how Ruth had been outside of the, the family and household of God and yet re-entered in by following her mother, faithfully going forward into that presence and into that space. Jesus declares himself continually as the bread of life. Jesus was born where? And where? In Bethlehem. 2,000 years we've been reading the stories about Jesus' birth. 2,000 years we have been waiting for his return. And he calls us into this place where we see him point to the house of bread. And I, I will ask the question this way. Where Ruth says, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Are we saying, Jesus, wherever you go, I will go. I will be there. I'm not going to leave to go back to my former life. I'm going to follow you. Am I going to my people or to, to my gods? Or I'm going to follow the way of the truth. And I said, we have an opportunity today. And I, I've got to be honest with you, it's probably one of the more exciting times for me personally, um, because I have really longed for communion. Have you, have you been missing communion? I, I have been missing it. And we've, we've been so faithful to try to stay in step with the government guidance and the Church of Scotland guidance. And now we come to this place where, yes, we're going to enter back into that place where we can see the miracles of God again in our lives, where we can sit into his presence and where we can say, today, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home. And because it's fun to sing during services, um, as you've noticed, everybody's looking with wide eyes right now. Oh no, what song is it going to be? I was reflecting on the fact that I would... How many of you like Paul Simon? Anybody like Paul Simon? Yeah. All right. Everybody didn't even move. Uh, did you like Paul Simon? My mother, my mother would put me in the car late at night and we would drive 16 hours uh, to my grandmother's house traveling and going back to their home, and uh, we would sing the song, 
homeward bound. I wish I was homeward bound. Home, where my thoughts are seen. Home. You remember that song? If you don't, uh, you can take it up with my mom. But uh, she would drill that into me. Home. Well, Naomi and Orpah made a choice in the valley of decision, one to go home and one to go home. But the true home is where the house of bread lies. Our true home today is where the house of bread lies. And I want to read something to you. And this is from the Gospel of John. And I'm convinced that when John was following Jesus, he was right there with him, with his pad of paper, with his scroll, writing down the things that he saw, the words that, he, that Jesus himself would recite. And I want to I read these, this story to you. And I want you to ask yourself, am I hungry? Are you hungry for the Lord? Because there's a group of people following after Jesus wherever he goes at this point in time in his ministry. And they're looking for him. And it says this, that when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly I say to you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may, be, we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never get thirsty. Paul understands it this way and articulates it, and it's something that we we have done repeatedly for years in this church. Paul says this, that on the night when Jesus died, He broke bread. He broke bread and said, take, eat, this is my body for you. I I want to encourage us to take and eat and taste. Come back to the house of bread. Come Come back to the one who said, I am the bread of life. And in this, I will give you life.